All right. So we're starting a new series called Kryptonite, and I'm not going to lie. Like, I, I really loved that scene. I, I was trying to put together the role in, and I was like, how do we capture the thought process behind this? And that's the fight scene between Batman and Superman was the thing that did it in my head. I was thinking about it because, one, I'm a big Batman fan. How many of y'all like Batman better? All right, we have rational people out here. There we go, yeah. So, like, Superman, he bugs me, okay? Superman bugs me a lot. Um, here's why. Because Superman started off as this character where you have, back in, like, World War II times, where, like, what if we had this dude that was just good at everything, okay? It was like, oh, there's a glacier about to hit this city. Oh, he can melt it with his eyes. Uh, oh, there's a fire. Hey, he'll blow it out with ice breath. It was like, let's just throw a bunch of powers into one dude. And he grew into this thing that everybody couldn't stand. He had no weaknesses, no, no anything that made him relatable to us as people. But then they added kryptonite. And that one thing took this, this super-powered behemoth, like this demigod of sorts, and it brought him down to our size. That's what happens in that fight scene. You have this normal human being, Batman, who's really smart and he's, he's jacked and he's like good at kung fu and all this different stuff. But he's normal. Like if you shoot him with a bullet, he dies. You have Superman. And because Batman found that one thing, that one weakness, it put him on equal playing ground. And that, that to me was cool. And um, what we do with these series is we plan them out ahead of time. Like, we planned these things out like six months ago for the entire year, year and a half, something like that. We come together as a group and we're like, what, what do you think our students need to learn? And one of the topics that came up was this topic. We had different names for it and all these different things like Jay Gray, I think, came up with the name Vices and when he said that, I thought Miami Vice, which none of y'all know what it is. I just, just think loud colored shirts and chest hair, that's all you need to know. But like, it's, <laughs> that was my thought process. I was like, Miami Vice. But Dylan threw this, this name in kryptonite and it, it got my wheels turning. And when you look at every superhero you come in contact with, every single one has a weakness. Every superhero has a weakness for the same reason that Superman needed to be relatable Every hero needs a weakness. You need something that puts us and makes us able to relate with that person. So if you look at these heroes, you got Superman who's got his kryptonite. Batman is constantly dealing with um, the reoccurring effects of his parents' death as a child, but also like how far am I gonna go? Like the, it's a psychological weakness that he's having to fight all the time. The human torch is, uh, is asbestos because it's fireproof. It's kind of weird. Um, you've got the Iceman whose weakness is the human torch, and he can set him on fire and melt him. And, um, you've got Aquaman, who's air, fish hooks? I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. Uh, Aquaman, I'm not sure it's a hero. But you have, every single one has a weakness. And just like they have weaknesses, we have weaknesses too. Every single one of us has something we're susceptible to, something that tempts us more than the next person. You have people that deal with alcoholism, you have people that deal with lust, you have people that deal with um, drugs and different things like that, or even lying, cheating, different things. We have these weaknesses that we come in contact with, 
But even bigger than that, I, we were trying to go deep. We were trying to get down to the root of this whole thing, but there are sins that are down at the core that all of these other sins pop out of. And the one that we're gonna talk about today is kind of like the granddaddy of all sin. Like if you narrow sin down to its essence, it is this one sin, and that sin is idolatry. Now I want y'all to come back with me here, because as soon as I said idolatry, half of y'all tuned me out, okay? Idolatry is more than just this little golden monkey that you find in the middle of the woods that people are bowing down to. Like, a lot of you guys have seen Star Wars, Return of the Jedi, and you've got C-3PO, he's like levitating and stuff, and all the Ewoks are bowing down. Idolatry is more than that. If you, I, I was trying to uh, look up idolatry and figure out how many times it appeared in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and I quit counting because it was getting boring, because I, it kept coming up. I was like, okay, this word for it appeared 30 times. This time it appeared 44 times, and I, I got sick of it, and I wasn't gonna keep counting, so I stopped. Like, it, it is over and over and over and over. This thing pops up, so it's a big deal. And the biggest one that any of us will ever know from, like, idolatry popping up is the Ten Commandments, which we kind of hit in Bible study a couple weeks ago. So if you've got your Bible, we're gonna start off in Exodus 20, okay? That's gonna be our main chunk. And I'm going to read Exodus 20, one through 17, and then we're gonna dive in. So I want you guys to sit tight with me. Um, It's gonna be up on the screen, but just follow along. So Exodus 20, verse one. It says, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any carved image or any likeness of anything that is on heaven above, that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the Lord of... uh, the name of the Lord God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant, female servant, livestock, sojourner. Like he's getting very specific. Even your cow's not allowed to work. Like nobody worked during this thing. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your, mo- your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord has given you. you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness or, or lie uh, to your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, covet your neighbor's wife, his male servant, female servant, pretty much anything that belongs to your neighbor, don't covet. And he goes through these Ten Commandments. And Jehi, I kind of give him some hand signals as we went throughout the weeks. You had one God, graven image, word for the, taking the Lord's name in vain. We went through all these things. But something that happened that was really cool in Christianity, there's a dude named Martin Luther. How many of y'all have heard of Martin Luther? Not Martin Luther King. That's, this is who he was named after. So Martin Luther. Okay, Martin Luther is one of the reasons why we actually can read the Bible in our own language, that we have Baptists and Presbyterians and Lutherans and all that stuff. It all started with him. And one of the things Luther noticed when he was studying this passage is that you had these 10 commandments, but the first two stood by themselves a little differently. Okay, the first one, there's one God, keep him holy. He's 
the one on the throne. You had the second one, don't make any graven images. Those two, what was weird about those two is that with the other eight commandments, if you ever broke any of the other eight commandments, you had already broken one and two. You'd already broken those first two. If you steal something, the reason you stole it is because originally you thought that you were going to get satisfaction, contentment, all those different things instead of getting it from God. So you elevated the thing that you stole above God. That, took, that became your God. You were worshiping that instead of God, and you broke those first two commandments. That is where it started. And you can play that out with every single one, like with murder. You're not trusting God's will that he's going to... Uh, vindicate you and all these different things. So you're taking your plan, making it above God's plan. So you're elevating yourself over God and you're breaking those first two commandments. Coveting, like adultery, all these different things, they fall under those first two commandments. Idolatry is the king of all of those. Every sin that you commit falls under idolatry. So it's a big deal. It's more than just that little monkey that's made of gold that's just sitting on top of the table in the temple of doom. It's, it's more than that. So we have to get a hold on this. And here's a, here's a thing that, uh, there's a pastor named Tim Keller. This is one of the things he writes. He says, what thing, if you lost it, could cause you to lose the will to live? Ask yourself that. I'm gonna repeat that. What thing, if you lost it, could cause you to lose the will to live. What thing in your life, if that thing was taken away, would cause you heartbreak, would cause you pain, would cause you stress, depression, anxiety? What is that one thing in your life that's ruling there? Because there's a lot of things that we allow to take God's throne in our lives. A lot of those things, they cause depression. Another thing that Keller said is no created thing, no created thing can take the freight of your hopes and dreams or stand the weight of the longings of your soul. No created thing can hold up to the desires of your heart. God has created you for so much more than that. And I, I got to see this personally in my own life. Um, it was one of the harder seasons of my life. Uh, I was in college, I was at Liberty. Um, thing I wanted to be since I was a senior in high school was I, I wanted to go to school to be a youth pastor. I wanted to work with students from junior high to high school. That's, that's what my dream has been since I became a Christian. So I'm kind of living the dream right now, I really am. But while I was in college, my my viewpoint got skewed, my eyes got tunnel vision in a sense, and my focus got twisted. Because no longer was I worshiping God, I was worshiping the things that I was doing for God. I was actually worshiping ministry. As confusing as that sounds, that was the thing that was dominating me. So like, for my quiet time, for my alone time with God, instead of like just studying it just to study it, I was studying God's word to do messages. I was studying God's word to do small groups, those kind of things. And none of it was just for my relationship with me and God. I was planning mission trips. I was doing all these different things. And what happened my junior year, and I've told a lot of you guys about this, that's when I blew my knee out. And I had a really, really bad knee injury my junior year of college. And I tore four ligaments, two muscles, nasty picture. I recently got the video from one of my friends of them popping it back in place. It's nasty, it's awesome. Uh, but 
one of the things that happened with that was I lost the ability to walk. I lost the ability to walk. I was in a wheelchair for about two months, and then for another four, maybe five months, I was on crutches. I couldn't actually run for another year. Like, I was down for the count. And I lived on a place at Liberty called The Hill, so I can't walk, I'm in a wheelchair. The Hill and me don't get along very well, because uh, stairs and me don't get along very well. And none of the doctors in, in Lynchburg, Virginia could do my surgery, it was a little complex. So I had to go home. I had to leave school, where a lot of my identity, a lot of my fulfillment, a lot of my satisfaction was built. I had a reputation as a good small group leader. I was a spiritual life director and I was, I was known as a good one. I, I had a lot of connections I was building. I had internships that were lining up and all that stuff got ripped away from me. All the mission trips, all that stuff that I'd worked so hard on just went away. I got mad. I got so mad at God because the things that I was doing for him, he took away from me. And it took me a month to realize that I was putting so much stock in all the stuff I was doing that I'd lost sight of who I was doing it for. And it hurt. When I finally realized it, God showed me something. Um, I was doing a small group. I was finally getting back in church. I could actually crutch around and I was doing this small group and I started seeing these guys desire to know God. They were growing, they were seniors in high school and they were trying to love God with everything they had. And they were trying to keep him first in life and they were going through the wrestling and stuff and I, I noticed that I had lost that hunger. That I had let other things take God's throne in my life. My perspective had shifted. And it brought me back. For a lot of you guys, you're stuck in that same rut. And there was a pastor I used to listen to a lot um, back in college. His name was Mark Driscoll. And I went back and listened to some of his stuff the other day um, because he talked about this. And there's a story that he told when I was probably freshman in college. And I want to read it to you guys. I want you guys to hear it. And I'm going to mispronounce the name of this city, just so you know, so don't make fun of me. But... I was, <laughs> I was in Vishakapatam, <laughs> East India, <laughs> a few years ago. The rest of it I can pronounce, so it's good. I was in East India a few years ago. It's out in the middle of nowhere. I'm walking down this dirt lane, and there's an altar there, a shrine, chicken blood and feathers everywhere. And there's idols as far as the eye can see. They worshiped everything you could possibly imagine. And I asked one of the pastor's wives who was there, and they were planning a church in this rural, uh, rural village. Um, do you think you'll ever come to the United States and visit my country? She said, I did once, and I'll never go again. I can't stand the idolatry. And she says this as I'm standing next to an altar where chickens get whacked, apparently, to the chicken god. And I'm thinking to myself, this is not what I was expecting to hear, okay? So I asked her, I responded, where are the shrines of false worship and idolatry in our culture? She said, your God is your stomach, and you have restaurants everywhere. Your God is your sports teams, and you build multi-million dollar stadiums to house them. Your God is your television, and all the chairs in your house are lined up 
so that you and your family can come and worship at the altar of that God together. And that's when it dawned on me that idolatry is often seen in someone else's culture, but in our culture, we just think it's the Bass Pro Shop, the steakhouse. We just think it's the place we get recreational sporting goods or the movie theater. We see it as entertainment. We just see it as a hobby. We just see it as a sport. We don't see it as religion. We don't see it as spirituality. We don't see it as idolatry. But sometimes it is. Oftentimes it is. And students, here's the thing I want you guys to get. There's a lot of stuff in your life. We live in a very successful part of this country. Houston, Kingwood, a lot of idolatry, what it is, is taking things that we worship and getting them out of order. Things that we love and shifting them out of order and putting them in the wrong spot. Like a lot of you, if you had a job, it's right to be committed to your job. If you had a family, it's right to be committed to your family. But if you're more committed to your family, your job than you are your family, what's going to happen is your family is slowly going to get sick of coming in second. And you're gonna lose more and more opportunities to love your kids, to love your wife, to love your husband. And you're just gonna end up stuck with your job because your family's not gonna take it. So often we end up in that same thing where God's supposed to be our number one focus, but instead we're shifting it to dance or to football or to these other things in our lives. And that's the thing we're focusing on instead of Him. And instead of a thing that's supposed to be good in our lives, a good relationship, a good sport, an avenue to share your faith. And instead it's a thing that's taking away from our relationship with God. And there's a lot of you in here that that relationship with God, you've never had it. You've constantly been trying to fulfill your life with these small things and it's never adding up. And uh, Keller said this once, he said, um, that no created thing can bear the freight of your deepest hopes. No created thing can bear the weight of your soul's longing. And a lot of you have taken these created things and you've put them number one in your life. And they keep falling empty. And the only thing that's going to give you satisfaction, the only thing that's gonna give you contentment, fulfillment, happiness, and give you that meaning that you've been searching for, it's God. It's knowing God and getting to know Him more.